Welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Lundberg, and this is the Sports Roundtable, your end-of-the-week sports update on all things Michigan State. We are live here from the State News with sports editor Sam Sklar. How are we doing today, Sam? Not too bad. It's a, it's a nice week here in East Lansing. I'm a little surprised. It's November now, and we're like almost 70 degrees, so I can't complain. Yeah, it really is beautiful out, and you know, it's a beautiful time for postseason women's soccer. I want to jump right into that as... The Michigan State women's soccer team beat Minnesota in the first game of their Big Ten tournament uh, earlier this week on Sunday. Jordan Wickes had a brace after they were trailing at halftime to um, put the game out of reach for the Gophers. And with that brace, she was named to the national team of the week by TDS Soccer and College Soccer News. And Lauren Kozel, our goalkeeper, was also named the best goalie in the country. Um, and if they beat Nebraska Thursday, they'll advance to the Big Ten tournament final. And this team is just making waves like all across campus. It seems like the buzz, rightfully so, has been you know very has been really high the past couple weeks. Um, what have you? What are you looking forward to seeing out of them and the rest of this Big Ten tournament, Sam? Uh, well, I mean, I will agree. It has been very cool seeing this team sort of transform into one of the more dominant programs in the country super quickly. Having Jeff Hosler come in, and I believe it's the second year as a yep. head coach, and he's already they're like. I think ranked sixth in the country right now. Only have one loss, and it was to a ranked team early in the season. So it's been very impressive. But I mean, you as the uh, women's soccer guy, I want to turn it to you. I mean, what what's been so impressive watching this team, and just maybe the way they play? Like, what what makes them good? I guess is a fair question. Yeah, following just following them all season, seeing after you know they lost to Arkansas on the road, which is never easy. Um, they had a scoreless draw at Oakland and a scoreless draw, I believe against Iowa as well. Um, but after that, it's just been full speed. The offense has really, really stepped up since those games where they played down to their opponents. But, I mean, you've got players like Lauren DeBoe, Lauren Kozel, Ruby Diodati, who was the Big Ten Defense Player of the Year, um, kind of a sleeper coming out of this year. Um, and then, obviously, you've got, in my opinion, the best coach on this campus right now, Jeff Hostler, um, as your head coach. So, I mean... They've been clicking on all cylinders recently. Um, the defense plays physical. They go after it. They're aggressive. And the offense is the same way. They In their game against Minnesota, they did what good teams do after going down. They were trailing in half for the first time in like a month and a half. Um, and they just came back out. They started off firing, and then they eventually, you know, got those two goals to go from Wickes. And, I mean, she's been amazing as a super sub. She doesn't even start, and she's – had you know, I believe she's almost at ten goals this year, and she's just been you know lighting it up when she comes in the game. Um, so it's been it's been very exciting to cover the team, and I think they have a real shot at going really deep, not in, in just into this Big Ten tournament, but the NCAA tournament coming up after this. Um, so it's just been very exciting, and to see everyone kind of rally together when other teams on campus are doing as well for a team that really doesn't get a lot of love normally. I mean, besides like two years ago, no one knew. Like, they only had one win, and then you've hired Jeff Hostler, and it goes from 10 wins now to 14, to 15, excuse me. But just seeing everyone on campus kind of come together and be like, wow, this team is actually, like, legit. And um, it's just been a really fun time covering them. But I want to also talk about the men's soccer team. Um, I I will be going to Columbus to watch them, as well as the women's in the uh, Big Ten tournament as well this Friday. But they lost to Northwestern in their final regular season game of the year. 1-2 to on Sunday, and then they'll face number 3 seed and number 18 overall OSU tonight, and they finished the regular season out 6-8-2 and 3-4-1 and in conference play. 
but they did. It was nice to see them kind of bounce back. I've talked about this before from a very you know poor start, and then they kind of have just come out of the gates um, midway into the re- Big Ten regular season, kind of come back and get to where they are here. But it's going to be a tough task um, upsetting Ohio State you know, tonight in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really followed a whole lot of the men's soccer team, so I can't really provide a whole lot of you know insight and analysis into how the season has gone. It's definitely going to be tough going into Ohio State this weekend um, and trying to pull off an upset in a non-neutral site like Michigan State is playing at, or at least the women's Michigan State team is playing at this weekend. And so, um, you know, being being that underdog, it's going to be a tough challenge. They lost 2-1 earlier this season to Ohio State. It was actually just a couple of weeks ago. And so um, they fell behind 2-0 in that game and ended up scoring a goal but, but couldn't rally there, so... I'm sure that, you know, they have some stuff to work on with versus, like, the women's team when they played Minnesota in the big first round of the Big Ten tournament. That was their first time playing each other this year, so there wasn't really any film or any um, analysis that they could have really gone off of. At least Michigan State maybe has that for the men's team this, this weekend. Yeah, and, I mean, playing against Ohio State in this scenario is going to be very tough for them, especially the way they've been playing as of late. But um, there's always a chance... Um, with this team, they, I've, they've beaten some good teams this year. So, I mean, I don't expect anything crazy coming out from them in this tournament. But, I mean, there's always a chance for an upset. But moving on to volleyball, um, they're in the midst of a very, very tough stretch right now. They've lost nine games in a row after falling to number 9 Minnesota and Michigan on the road. They are now 1-11 in conference play and will face Purdue tonight at 6 p.m. We I've been talking about this also before with... Young teams, especially in the Big Ten, with a new coach and a new staff and everything, it's very hard to win some of these games when you've got teams like Minnesota they just played. And, I mean, Michigan's always tough. And then, you know, there's countless other teams that are just very solid in the Big Ten. But if it kind of feels like they kind of they need to win one of these games to kind of, you know, gain some confidence. And I feel like Purdue could be a very good opportunity for that. Yeah, and I think it's just interesting because – I feel like a lot of their they've played a ton of road games already this year. Yeah. And um you know, versus playing in the Breslin, which they moved into this year, which um seems to be a success. It seems like some people are going. It looks like for sure that Michigan game was just crazy. Yeah, they broke the attendance record that game. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool to see. They've got four straight home games it looks like coming up and it, I guess six of their in the last seven games of the season will all be at home. And so that is a good way I think to end the season. But obviously the Big Ten is tough. You got two ranked matchups coming up versus uh, number fourteen Purdue and number six Ohio State, but then after that, it's against all other unranked teams, just like Michigan State is. So I think just being at home will be a um, you know a welcoming sight for the for the team. Don't have to worry about all the travel and, and, and the fans and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and I mean, just like I said, it feels like one of these games they got to come out with a win to um, you know gain that confidence back with a young coach and a young team. Losing all of this, you know, losing all of these games in a row, they they could get down on themselves pretty easily, um, and so I, f- I feel like a one in one of these games would be very important, not only for this year but for next year going forward, um, knowing that they can win in the Big Ten and not just you know be um, be some teams as like you know throwaway game. But moving on to basketball, as their seasons are just tuning up, the the women's team beat. SVSU in their tune-up match, 90-56. to 56. Um, The transfers led the way with as McDaniel and Elliott both had 14 apiece. And freshman Halleck, which was kind of a surprise to me, had 13 off the bench. 
Susie Merchant mentioned that in the game, rebounds were, were a pretty big struggle. I mean, you've got, you had, I believe, Tyre Parks had seven. Dee Hageman, who's, you know, a smaller guard, had six, which is interesting, an interesting stat line for me to see. But um, their next game is next Monday at home at 12 p.m. which against Delaware State, which is an interesting time for a <laughs> basketball game. 12 p.m. on a Monday, is yeah, that what it is? Yeah, so that'll be. Clear your schedule. Exactly, exactly. Don't don't go to class. You, you don't need to go to class. But um <laughs> It seemed like the transfers really, you know, Merchant mentioned that they're going to be a big factor this year for their team. And, I mean, they stepped up in a big way their last game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one thing that just sort of caught my eye after, you know, doing some looks at that exhibition game that they played. Is there were a few names that I just didn't recognize on the team, not because I don't know a whole lot about women's basketball team, but just because there's new faces, there's transfers, there's freshmen, and they made an impact right away, which I thought was very encouraging to see after Michigan State missed out on the the NCAA tournament last year, they were kind of just mediocre. Obviously, the big question is, how do they replace Nia Cloudin? It's going to be a really tough task. She was one of the top players in the country, got drafted in the WNBA. So it it could almost be something similar to what the Michigan State football team is experiencing with the loss of Kenneth Walker. Yeah. And, you know, now that we're in hindsight and you, you can look back and be, realize how impactful he was, not just to, like, the offense, but just really the entire team and the energy and everything that he brought. And so it'll be interesting to see from the women's basketball team if someone can sort of step up and fill those shoes. I don't really have an idea of who that could possibly be. Maybe you do, just I feel like you know a little bit more about the team. Um, But yeah, I think like Gabby Elliott and McDaniel were two key players that I I took note of and said these are kind of people to watch. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this year it's going to be, they're going to have to do it by committee. There's not really that one player that can really step up and, you know, go like like Nia Clown, go for 50 in one game, um, which is still crazy to me. But, um, I mean, you've, like, McDaniel and Elliott had good games, like we mentioned. Uh, Halleck was a nice surprise, like I said, as a freshman. But I'm really looking to Dee Dee Hageman and Matilda Eck this year to kind of continue to develop the way they were last season. They started to get into a real groove midway through that season. Um, and we know like that Eck is a sniper and Dee Dee is very good um, at setting her up. So those are two players that are going to be big. And like the men's team, their bigs, the women's bigs, uh, like Tyra Parks, uh, is, are going to need to step up too. Their front court is a little kind of suspect like the men's team as well, and we'll get into that in a minute. But So, I mean, I feel like this year it's going to be more by committee and I trust Susie Merchant she's been here she just got extended through 2027 she's been here for a while um, so she's seen a lot of teams a lot of different players come through and I I have hopes that um, this team could you know put something together this season um, they've got the talent to do so it feels like but we'll see if that one you know star can emerge like Nia Cloudon did last year but moving on to the men's side of things uh, they played their their first exhibition against Grand Valley earlier this week. They did not get off to a very hot first half. They were actually trailing in the first half. Um, Tyson Walker seemed like the only player out there who kind of looked semi-decent for that half. But in the second half, they picked it up. A.J. Hogard, Malik Hall, Jackson Kohler all made a pretty good impact. Madi Sissoko actually did some things that kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, Pierre Brooks um, struggled a little bit, so the same as Joey Hauser. And some of the lineups that Izzo threw out there and the lack of size and depth were shown, but some of those lineups were just... I, I don't see how you can win in the Big Ten when you've put 
guys like Jackson Kohler and Joey Hauser on the in the front court at the same time against let's say like a Zach Eady or Hunter Dickinson. I I just don't see how that's gonna you know fare well in the Big Ten. Yeah, and that's been the big you know question coming into the season is how is Michigan State gonna utilize that center position because they really don't have a proven guy. You know, Joey Hauser is I guess proven, but he's he's not really at least I don't think a natural fit at center. Yeah. He can play it. He's done it in the past. But it hasn't really been pretty at times. Sissoko was a highly recruited, highly touted player coming out of high school. Um, but everyone sort of knew that he was a raw player and would take some time. But it, and I think it's been two years now. I think he's a junior. Yeah. And so now is sort of the time for him to, you know, prove what he's got. And um, it seems like he did that a little bit and, you know, looked improved last night. But also just entire game itself it felt like it was a little sluggish maybe a little sloppy on Michigan State side I think to be trailing in the second half against Grand, Grand Valley Dallas. State is not really a good thing they were trailing for 13 minutes total in that game which um you think against a, a lower level you know division two team that it Michigan State would sort of assert its dominance, but I mean Louisville lost the other day. That's to, true, yeah. To us, to us, very small school. So maybe you just don't take these exhibition games too seriously, or at least you can't really pull too much out of it. Yeah. Um, but I also did notice that um, who was it? It was uh, Hogard. He shot pretty well from the field, like four for five from the field. Hit both of his three point attempts. Um, that's kind of always been like one of his downfalls. I feel like or he can be a streaky shooter. Like sometimes yeah. he'll get hot, and sometimes like the three point line, and um, even just free throws, he's, he's sort of struggled at times. But if he's able to pick up that efficiency and be able to, you know, spread the floor a little bit, the shooting range, because we know that he's a really good attacker. He's really good at driving the lane. Something that Tyson Walker isn't necessarily as as good at, and so they kind of complement each other. Where Tyson Walker's more of the sharpshooter, and he actually had six uh, steals last night, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, I feel like Hogard and Walker definitely had the best games out of the whole team. Last year we saw Hogard and Walker on the same at the floor at the same time, and it was kind of like questionable decision-making because you've got your two point guards running kind of like the one and the two. But this year I feel like I really like what I saw from Tyson Walker coming out. He was shot hunting, which is something he did not do last season. Um, he was more of a pass first, and when he shot it, it seemed like every time he shot it, he it would go in. He shot, I believe, over 40% from three um, and around that from the field as well. But um, it was good to see, you know, A.J. knocking down those shots, like you said. That's something we heard. He's been working on a lot this offseason, and um, that's kind of what he needs to do to take that next step. He had some um, explosive plays in transition. He was, as always, a hound on defense. Um, so that was just it was good to see that his improvement looks like it's going to be there this year and I really feel like him and Tyson like you said they play have a different style but now they're kind of after an off season of being together they've kind of learning how to play with each other on the court at the same time and it seems like Izzo is going to rely on those two players heavily to play together throughout the year and it was just it was very good to see Tyson Walker go after a shot yeah and I feel like it's kind of a similar theme to what we've seen over the past three years or so we're coming into the season you know ever since Cassius Winston left like Michigan State hasn't really had that guy and coming into the season like part of the question has been like who's going to step up who's going to be the the go-to scorer um Aaron Henry a couple years ago he sort of took on that role um Gabe Brown maybe at times last year like last year was a little bit wishy-washy with (coughs) that inconsistent for sure yeah 
And so if Michigan State is going to, you know, they're not ranked in the top 25 preseason poll, um, but if they're going to, you know, make that run like Izzo always does, I think they're going to need someone to, to step up in that regard. You know, Malik Hall's name has been thrown around, um, but he's been sort of inconsistent too. And so I think those two point guards, though, if they can, they can complement each other very well. And if they're able to figure it out how to work them on the floor even at the same time, I think Michigan State could be very good this year. Yeah. But moving on to um, your specialty, the hockey team, um, you're going to be the reporter for them next year as well, So, or this uh, upcoming this season. But they lost. They played Notre Dame over the weekend in a away series. Um, they lost the first game 5 nothing, and then tied 1-1. They're moving on to 4-3-1 and in the season. And with the Notre Dame series, they started conference play at 0-1-1. They'll face Wisconsin tonight to start their four-game homestand and the two-game series versus the Badgers. Um, This is kind of they're entering into the real Big Ten play now. Um, I just want to know what you saw from the weekend series this this week after, especially it's very promising to see after a blowout loss, a young team with a new coach to come back and take that game against, you know, always a very solid Notre Dame opponent. Yeah, I think you're right on there. You know, Dylan St. Cyr, the goaltender, made his return to Notre Dame where he spent four seasons before. And then he transferred to Quinnipiac last year and now transferred to Michigan State. And so he got the start both times in that um, he gave up five goals in his first start um, Friday night. And so I thought it was very interesting, though, that Nightingale went back to him Saturday night when he could have gone with Pierce Charleston or something. But um, you saw that he bounced back, only let him one goal. And just the overall team bounced back. And that was definitely something that did not happen often last couple of years with Dan Cole. Um, You know, not like it's all his fault or something. (laughs) But I think it's just something about this team. And it's something that I've just noticed attending a couple of the games this year and just watching them on TV. Is there's something about this, this grit or this passion or this just desire from these players that just feels a little different where they're maybe, I don't want to say that they're working harder because I don't want to discount any of the work that was put in the last couple of years. It just feels like there's a little bit more talent. It feels like there's a little bit more skill on this team. Tanner Kelly, his shootout goal, like he's got some really nice mitts. He can make some really nifty plays on the stick. He's a sophomore. Jesse Tucker, he's a guy who yeah. led the team in points last year. He's kind of gotten off to a slow start, but he's been playing up and down the lineup too. But um, I think it's just a matter of time before he sort of in his groove that we saw last year where he was just dishing out assists pretty much every game. But this team just also has a lot more depth. And granted, they have more players on the roster just numbers-wise, so that might be a part of it. But um, it's been really impressive just to see this team sort of make strides already. It's obviously baby steps, and Nightingale's had to sort of gut this entire thing out. There's so many new players on the team. I think they're starting to make some make some progress that you know Wisconsin who they play this weekend they're two and six have not gone off to a good start at all can't score goals their special teams are atrocious Michigan State swept Wisconsin last year in East Lansing one of their only might have been their only sweep of the year I, I can't remember but it's a chance for Michigan State to pick up two wins in the Big Ten um, on the same weekend which would be absolutely huge and sort of making a statement because well they did do that last year but the problem was <laughs> We know how last year. Then, then January hit. <laughs> Mitchell Lewandowski got hurt and the season fell apart. But I think that this team, just given that it has depth, 
that won't happen this year. I don't. I don't. I'm not. If there were an injury to a key player, I think that they've got enough right now to replace it. You know, guys like Carson Dorwart have been um, playing strongly. Um, Jeremy Davidson has picked up where he has last year, um, and just defensively too. I think this team um, they're putting a lot of more pucks on net, which was something that you know Michigan State really struggled with yeah. in the past, was scoring goals and. It was all just like gritting, grinding, a physical play that, you know, now Michigan State sort of plays more of a Penn State style. I don't think it's to that extent or that to that degree of just like pounding the net with shots. Uh-huh. But they've been doing it, and it's been leading to more goals, and that's been the most encouraging thing. Yeah. Like you said, um, if they were to get this sweep this weekend against Wisconsin, that'd be very, very big, especially for a young team, to kind of take that momentum into – conference play and we know the Big Ten is no slouch when it comes to hockey so um, it'll be interesting to see follow them the rest of the season but last but maybe least <laughs> right at this point um, we got to talk about we got to talk about football so I was actually at the game um, in the student Michigan student section no less wearing my Ugh. you know MSU shirt I was you know talking my trash in that first quarter when Keon went up and just was going crazy did but is you get anything thrown at you no nah, the thing that really changed the game from my perspective was that failed fourth down conversion on fourth and one and i just everything from that play what they've been throwing Which talked, one? yeah Which one? oh the, Two um, of them. <laughs> the one in the beginning when they were knocking on the the, the drive when they were, they were on like the 15 yeah exactly um yeah. and then they ran that delayed handoff and just got stuffed and thorn actually said he could have uh, sneaked it if, like, he was looking into it. But I was like, I, I, I'm a v- very big fan of the QB sneak, so that kind of annoyed me when he said he was thinking about it and didn't do it because it seems like it always works, but that's just me. But I feel like that really changed possession of the game, and then obviously their O-line is probably the best in the country, and Blake Corm is a very, very good running back. Um, and the def- our defensive, just our defense in general, um, they played okay uh, for the most part. The offense didn't help them at all outside of that first quarter. And, I mean, they did what they could do against just, you know, they were just Michigan's just a better team. But the big storyline was the fight afterwards. Um, now we know mm-hmm. that a total of eight players have been suspended with Jacoby Winman and Angelo Gross kind of headlining as the guys who have played the most this year um, who have been suspended. But it, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle these, this indefinite suspension from all these guys and what happens with them with the future of the program. Mm-hmm. And... It's just so tough because it really overshadows the entire game and what happened, and it feels like we've all—it's all we've been talking about over the last few days. Exactly. But I mean, it's—it's it's a big deal because Michigan State is not does not look good because of that. Yeah. Pretty much all the videos that have come out from the tunnel have been pretty damning toward Michigan State, and um, have been you know frustrating and sad, and and there's a lot of emotions as a Michigan State student, as a person who covers the team, as you know. People who listen to this podcast, I'm sure you're all feeling a whole ton of emotions about, and maybe just confusion about, you know, what is going on. And um, obviously, I think Michigan State is the bulk of the blame, um, and I think they've handled it pretty well so far, suspending those eight players indefinitely until um, those investigations are complete. It will be interesting to see if anything happens on the Michigan side, just because we only have really puzzle pieces right now of different videos and different angles of different times of what actually happened in that locker room. You know, just from the outside, there hasn't been like a, we don't fully know why this happened is the big thing. Obviously there were tensions boiled up from the rivalry, you know,
know, it gets chippy in the game and things like that. But one, I think the one big clue is how did this start? Like you obviously we see, um, I think it was McBurrows like yeah. running the locker room with the Michigan State players, which obviously is, is an issue of itself, but it doesn't warrant a beat yeah. is the thing. And so what happened between that time of him running in with the Spartans and him getting, you know, jumped by like five players. Yeah. That's I'm, the big thing for me. Yeah, I'm I just wanted to say that I mean there is a lot to blame on the Michigan State side, but looking at it from a neutral perspective, you see a guy on a Michigan team run in and just kinda start to, you know, you know, talk talk your talk and uh, tensions are high obviously from the game. And there Michigan's fired up as well. So I mean it's it's kind of just it was a snowball effect of him you know just wanted to go in there and mess up some things and but it, that doesn't excuse the fact that you you don't just jump someone like mm-hmm. eight guys can't just just th- like throw helmets and stuff at this guy just because he's talking trash in your face like that doesn't excuse it but I I do feel like there's some blame to be put on the Wolverine side as well but I mean I'm kind of I've been seeing it all over Twitter these past couple of days and it's just some of these takes like by oh, from journalists and fans alike it's just been very they seem like a lot of the times to be very uninformed and just I I I'm excited for this kind of uh phase of it it needs to be handled and I feel like like you said Tucker and the university have has done it the right way so far who knows what'll happen going forward with some of these guys um if they'll be kicked off the team if they'll just be suspended only for this year if I mean, they're Michigan. Some of Michigan's players, like Jermon Green, is looking to press charges for a concussion. Which I mean, I, I, I'd have to look into that situation more to be, to have a full form a full opinion. But did you see uh, Keon Coleman's Instagram? Yeah, that was yeah. I, I, I love Keon, man. Keon is <laughs> one of the funniest people, and just yeah, that was that was good. I mean, I don't, crazy. I don't like. <laughs> I mean, you lost, and you're posting that, which to me is like kind of like. Not in the right timing, I guess, but it was still funny. He's he's still a great great player, funny guy. But mm-hmm. I'm just excited to kind of just be done with all this, and it's just been a lot hearing so many uninformed takes and people's opinions. Like it, it, it just doesn't matter. But uh, moving on, they'll face number 14 Illinois this weekend, um, who are surprisingly actually could be the potential Big West champions, which. Going into the season, no one. I think they will be. Yeah, no one. No one really thought that they had a chance. But for MSU, it's a road game, and they are three and five on the season. And it like it honestly, if they lose this one, I really think their bowl hopes are just out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it's going to be interesting having those eight players gone. And it's also interesting because all eight of those suspended players are defensive players. Two of them obviously being key impact players who are starters. Yep. Um, the rest of the guys have kind of just been rotational pieces or, or depth pieces. For Illinois, it starts with that defense. Um, Xavier Henderson and Peyton Thorne both said that um, Illinois' defense, they don't really change a whole lot. Like They're almost not like schematically super challenging, but they're just talented. And um, I can't remember if it was Henderson or Thorne, but one of them said that he thinks that one of the Illinois corners is one of the best in the country. And so it'll be really interesting to see him play. I haven't really watched a whole lot of Illinois, so that'll be an interesting matchup versus with that cornerback going up against probably Jaden Reed. But even now, given how Keon Coleman has sort of ascended, seeing what he if he matches up against him. Um, but getting that running game going is just going to be 
every single week. It's just been like ever since the Power Five opponents have come into play, it's just been like really, really rough. It's just yeah, like here two yards again. here, three yards here. Yeah. Incomplete pass, punt. We definitely saw that against Michigan. I thought that Jay Johnson should have abandoned the run a little bit earlier. I think that, you know, although it was a close game because the Michigan State's defense kept holding Michigan to field goals, it was pretty obvious that the passing game is what was working. You know, finding Keon Coleman, finding Jaden Reed it was more early in the game. It was working, and they were moving the ball down the field. And also another thing that we talked about earlier, but that fourth and one, something else that caught my eye is Peyton Thorne was talking about Two plays before that on, on second down. He had a read that saw Jaden Reed was in a mismatch. He had a guy covering him who's not a corner. And he, he recognized it, but he didn't end up checking out of it. And he, looking back at the film, realized that he should have done that because he had like a almost a, like a one-on-one matchup or something, I guess, with someone who usually wouldn't be covering Jaden Reed. Yeah. And that, you know, I don't exactly remember what happened on that play, but it ended up leading to a, the fourth and one, which they decided not to kick a field goal. Went for it, didn't get it, and the rest is history. So that was, that was just another interesting part of that is, you know, a lot of fans, I think, are quick to blame, like, Jay Johnson for, like, oh, how do you call that play and stuff like that. But, like, it doesn't fully just end on him. Obviously, he's yeah. a lot to blame. Like, that counter play on the fourth and one was head-scratching yeah. and um, obviously also poorly blocked. Yeah. He had no chance at all. But... Um, you know, Peyton Thorne took some responsibility for it, too, which I think was um, nice to see on his end. Yeah, it's going to be interesting um, seeing the adjustments that come out with against Illinois. But um, So we'll see we'll see what happens this weekend. But thank you, Sam, for coming on. It was a pleasure, as always. Thanks for having me. This is fun. I appreciate it. Of course. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next Friday for another edition of Sports Roundtable. Peace out.